Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. How's everybody doing today? That's some bump and walk up music. (laughs) My name is Ken and I am the Prescott Valley campus pastor. So I want to give a big shout out to all of you who are joining us at Glassford Hill Middle School. Uh, Thank you for dialing in. And then for those who are uh, participating online whenever and wherever, thank you for joining those of us here at the Prescott campus today. We're honored that all of you would start your week off worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian. Uh, Today is our second installment of Variety Pack. We are doing uh, the spiritual disciplines, uh, and the spiritual disciplines are a part of our spiritual formation. Are you engaged in these disciplines, and you get some spiritual formation? And as Josh mentioned last week, spiritual formation is the process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. We benefit personally when we are made into the image of Christ, but everyone around us benefits when we're more like Jesus and less like us. So today, the the spiritual discipline we're going to tackle is the discipline of serving. We all love to be served, don't you? What do you do when you're served well? You tip. If you're generous, you overtip, right? Nice. You can always tell who's a waiter, <laughs> waiter, bartender, right? You pay for a good service and you tell people about it. You'll tip. Uh, you're typically very pleasantly surprised when you're served well. And if you own a business or run a business, you will recruit people who served you well. Like you went to a store and, and that person served you really well. And you're like, I'm going to recruit them because I want them working my shift, working in my store, a part of my team. I want them. And and great service opens the door to relationships. It really creates an atmosphere. And we live in a very service-oriented economy. But what we are familiar with in our 21st century American context, service, that context of service is quite different from what Jesus means when he talks about service. If you allow me to paint a picture of the world that Jesus was born into, the Roman Empire. Now, as you know, Jesus did not grow up in the cosmopolitan city of Rome with all its glitz and glam. Jesus was born in a conquered Roman territory. He was in Israel, so a subjugated people to the Romans. 
And then he was also from Nazareth, which was a town that even the Israelites didn't think much of, very backwater town. And in these conquered Roman territories of which Jesus was a part, there were more slaves than citizens. People did not serve one another. Slaves did. And slaves were not considered people. They were property. So as we walk through this topic and and you hear Jesus say things about serving, don't think service like we experience it. Think slave, because that's what we're talking about. And when you consider these facts of what the the world that Jesus was born into and that environment, uh, it's astonishing to me that Jesus, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, is the greatest example of being a servant because kings don't serve people. Kings get served. Here's what Paul, one of Jesus's early followers, he probably started following Jesus, I'd say within a few months of Jesus's execution, maybe it's a year, but it looks like it's about a few months. He starts following Jesus. And here's what Paul says about Jesus. He says, Jesus being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He's nature God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Jesus made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, again, think slave. He made himself nothing by becoming a human being. Last time I checked, we're all human beings. So I kind of, we're, made, we're nothing. We're nothing. We can compare ourselves to Jesus. Jesus takes the status of the lowliest. Here's a couple examples of what Jesus says about himself and as it relates to serving. This is Jesus talking. He says, for even the son of man, referencing himself, did not come to be served, but to serve. The purpose of Jesus coming was to serve us. He says, for who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Jesus is among us as one who serves. And he expects the same from those of us who follow him. So those are just two examples. These are some of Jesus's words. And Jesus's words define what it means to serve others. And his actions demonstrate what it means to serve others. And we see some of these actions A few hours, probably the most profound example of Jesus' service is within a few hours of Jesus' execution. He is at his final meal with his 12 closest compatriots who were with him for three years, and he washes their feet, including the feet of Judas, who would later betray him. Jesus washed feet. Jesus did the work of the lowest ranking household slave. And if you imagine for a moment washing the feet of someone who every day wears like cheap imitation Birkenstock sandals. And they wear these walking across dirt roads, right? They walk across fields that are littered with animal dung because you don't use Scott's fertilizer. You use the fertilizer from the cow or the goat or whatever. These guys were fishermen. So they're walking in mud or they're stepping in fish guts on the boat. These are not the feet that see top-notch shoes and regular pedicures. 
These feet are nasty. And Jesus washed the callous feet of the desert from the pre-industrial era. Gross, nasty feet. And he uses that, that moment with them as a teaching moment. As an example, he says, guys, you call me teacher, you call me Lord, and you should, but do you understand what I've done? Do you get it? Do you understand what I've done? He says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant, we are the servants, is greater than his master. Jesus is our master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He tells us that we're to do as he has done. Now, I got a disclaimer here. Don't, don't be washing my feet, okay? You want to serve me? You want to serve someone next to you? Watch their car, watch their truck. Don't touch their feet. I don't think. But the point is, we're to be of service to one another. Here's Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and he washed the feet of the one who would betray him. Think of the people in your life who have hurt you or betrayed you. Do you really want to serve them? I don't. That's not my, I don't operate that way. I need to operate that way because I am not greater than my master. Right? If I want to put myself above Jesus, then I guess I'm off the hook and I don't need to serve. But I'm not above Jesus. Jesus puts us all in our proper place when he says that no servant is greater than the one who sent him. So the takeaway from this passage, and we're going to look at a few, but from this one, I want you to grab this. That we are not blessed if we know what Jesus has taught. We're not. Like, it's great to know it, but we're not blessed. We're blessed if we do what Jesus has taught. Remember, he said, now you are blessed if you do them. And so do them, his teachings, his example. So this is just one picture of Jesus serving people. And it was a very personal, intimate time with the 12, I'm sure, a different time to, to what would be like us. He tells the crowds, he tells the story. Uh, the, the crowds are around and he tells this, guy, this story to a guy and the crowds get to hear it. And it's about what it looks like to serve others. And in this story that Jesus tells, and we're gonna look at it here in Luke 10, he connects service to others with our love for God and the richness of our life. So service to people, love for God and the richness of our life. It all comes together. And it's recorded in Luke chapter 10. And here we go. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So when you see this expert in the law, here's what the ancient world and the world that Jesus was in, there was not a separation of church and state. Your civic life and your religious life was all one. So expert in the law would be the law of Moses, what we'd call our Old Testament. So this guy would be like a constitutional scholar or think like a Supreme Court justice. He is an expert in it. And being the expert, I guess he feels like he can just test Jesus. He's not, he doesn't realize who he's dealing with yet. And he decides he's gonna test Jesus. And when you see this, eternal life, when you hear eternal I think we, and we eternal life, we're thinking heaven, right? Wherever that is, the by and by, we're gonna have this someday. It's gonna last forever. And that is true, but it's not just that. 
When the, when the Israelites talked about eternal life, there's, there's a qualitative value to it. So this isn't just time, it's also quality. Because I've got news for you. You're living your eternal life already. It has already begun. If eternity is going to last forever, you're in it now. So I have a question. When you think about the eternity, the life you're going to live forever, and now you add that to the qualitative value to it, is the current quality of your life, your inner dialogue, your relational depth, your honesty that you have with yourself and with others, your overall sense of peace, are you experiencing the quality of life that you would want to experience for all time? And if the answer is yes, good on you, you're free to go. You don't have to listen to the rest of this. If the answer is no, well, let's find out what the answer to the question is then. Because I don't know about you, but I want a great quality. I want a great quality of life that lasts forever. And I don't need to wait for this by and by whenever it's going to get here. I'm in it now. So let's start living it now. So this guy tests Jesus. Big mistake. Jesus always makes you look dumb when you try to test him. And in typical Jesus fashion, he answers a question with a question. Jesus says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This probably all sounds real familiar. The the greatest commandment. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now, I don't know if you notice this, but in this law, so he is quoting an Old Testament law. This is from Moses and, and he's quoting this. He says, you love God. So we start with love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and love your neighbor, people. So he's inextricably linking love for God and love for people. These two things come together. They're inextricably linked. You cannot separate love for God from love for people. Our love for God and in our following of Jesus, how well we do that is demonstrated by how well we do this, how well we love people. It's not demonstrated by our affections, by our feelings, not by our intentions, not by the words we say, but by our service to them. And although we can't separate these two things, we we try to. We do, often. For instance, you might read in your Bible that Jesus was homeless, right? The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then when we encounter a homeless person, we either ignore them or we reply to their request for help with the line, like, get a job. It's hard to get a job if you don't have a house and you don't have a shower and you don't have a razor. Or maybe we try to demonstrate our love for God by coming here on Sunday and we sing songs and we are moved and we sing these praises of God. And then with that same mouth, we will berate our spouse or our kids or our neighbors our coworkers, our employees, or will gossip about that lousy pastor of yours. 
And that's a joke at me, not a shot at Jason. Just let me be clear. (laughs) That's self-deprecating humor. So here's a self-administered test that you can give yourself to see if your affections for God, your feelings or the love for God that you have, have they led you to to serve people? Have they led you to love people? Ask yourself, would, would I serve someone who leads a lifestyle that I find reprehensible? Or like Judas, who has betrayed me, would you serve someone who votes differently than you do? And so Jesus' conversation with this expert continues. You can mull over those questions throughout today. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This is interesting. He wanted to justify himself. This guy's an expert in the law, right? He's the teacher of teachers. He's the, the real church person. But I think that statement, justify himself, really shows the human condition. His initial response is not one of humility. It's one of self-justification and self-defense. And I don't think he's the only one. I think a lot of us, I do that. I know I want to defend myself. When I, when I get rubbed by the scripture or someone calls me out, my initial reaction is not, yes, you're right. My initial reaction is I want to justify myself. So he asks the question, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells him a story. And here's our story today. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So here's Jesus' story about who's my neighbor. And in his story, there are three types of characters. I guess four, if you want to count the guy that got beat up, I guess four, but we're going to talk about the three. And those three are the robbers, the religious, so the priest and the Levite, and then the righteous, the Samaritan. And all of their actions communicate something. We only hear words from the last guy. We don't hear anything from the other two. So it's their actions are communicating something. And what do their actions communicate? Well, for the robbers, what their behavior communicates is that what's yours is mine. What you have, I want. Now, I think it's unlikely that most of us in here would beat someone, leave them half dead, and take their clothes and take their money. I don't think any of us operate in that, in that world, I guess. But I think we can have this posture, which yours is mine. Maybe it's in relationships. You engage relationships for what you get from it rather than what you can bring to it. 
how does someone benefit me? Or we come on a Sunday, I'm here to be served, not necessarily to serve. I'm here to get, not to give. What's yours is mine. Now, these religious guys, Mary said there's a priest and a Levite. So the priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. But these are the people you would expect to help. So it'd be like the priest and then the preacher's kid. Okay, these are the church people of church people. You expect them to help. And their behavior says, what's mine is mine. I'm not helping this guy. I got to go somewhere. Maybe he's getting what he deserves. Especially if when you read the law, the, the, the law of Moses, bad things happen to bad people. Right? If, you, if you're unrighteous, bad things will happen to you. If you're righteous, good things will happen to you. So if this guy's left half dead on the road, then he must be getting what's coming to him. Far be it from me to get in the way of what God is trying to teach someone else. I have justified not helping people by taking that posture. Far be it from me to get in the way of God trying to discipline someone or teach someone. And really, I just took the posture, what's mine is mine. And then you have the behavior of the Samaritan. And what does he say? What's mine is yours. Like, I'm just here to help. And we all want to be associated with us. Think of Good Samaritan Hospital or Good Samaritan right here in town. We all want to be associated with this type of behavior. But it costs something. It costs this man something. It costs the Samaritan something. What did it cost him? Well, he took a risk. Could have been a setup. Right? He doesn't know. Maybe this, this, this guy's faking it and they're going to bait me and then I'm going to get robbed. Or maybe the people who just robbed him are nearby. I'm going to stop and help him and I could be next. He risked being ostracized by his own people because Jews and Samaritans do not associate and so when Jesus tells this story, the story, the priest and the Levite, the Jews that should be helping, don't. When Jesus says, this guy helps, that's a major insult. And, and the Jews and the Samaritans, they're, they're very similar. The Samaritans came out of the Babylonian exile. They're intermarried with the people of Babylon. So the, the friction between the Jews and the, and the Samaritans would be like, think of, uh, if you remember the, the Irish Republican army, you have the Irish Catholics and the Irish Protestants fighting each other. You're the same people, but you view God differently. So you're, or the, 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 the Hutus and the Tutsis in the Rwandan genocide. You're the same people, but you fight over that. You have this hatred for each other. That's what they had. They had hatred. So this guy risks being ostracized by his own people because he helped a Jew. It cost him his time. He was on his way to Jericho. He had somewhere to be. It cost the man his money. He absorbed the cost of his care, oil, wine. Uh, he paid for his lodging, two denarii. That's roughly 200 bucks for a total stranger. And he committed to paying more out of his own resources of time and treasure. He served a man with whom he had no connection, no relationship, no reason to help. And at the end of this parable, Jesus asks the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go 
and do likewise. So take a moment and you reflect, do I do this? Do I, where in my life do I do likewise? Who are the people that I serve? Because people matter to God and they ought to matter to us. And the greatest commandment communicates that you cannot separate love for God from love for people. Well, Jesus's parable demonstrates that you cannot separate love for God from service to people. Our love is demonstrated by our service. And so this is a concept. And I, I, don't, I don't want you to leave today with just a concept. I want you to leave with some handles uh, on what kind of actions can I take to be of service to others. So for your benefit, I'll just start with the low-hanging fruit uh, of how do you serve the church on a Sunday? Because you're already coming to church. So this is not the only place and the only way to serve. But what can you do? How can you serve others? You can serve others, but you can start by putting your preferences last. Uh, maybe it's attending a different service. Uh, here at 8 o'clock, you probably don't need to do that. But at the 9.30 service, maybe that's the fullest on both campuses. And so it could, you can go to either the service before or the service after to make room for others. That's a possibility. Uh, putting your preferences last. And I'm not saying you do that all the time. Maybe do that once a month or twice a month. That's, that's a very simple way to serve others. You can volunteer to make a place for others. And this one ought to be easy because you're already here, right? Making an environment for people, uh, the, an environment that's like Jesus, warm and welcoming and inviting. Remember, people who were nothing like Jesus liked to be with Jesus. And that should be the experience of people coming to church. And that happens because of you, right? You create that environment. They might not like what was said from the person up here, but they liked how you made them feel. So I'll come back and I'll listen again. Setting the environment for others. How about serving the least of these? And when I think of the least of these, this is serving people who cannot serve you. For instance, children's ministry or student ministry, which is quite possibly one of the funnest, yet the most taxing places to serve. Uh, and I understand that if you've raised your kids, it's, you're not really wanting to do children's ministry again. It's hard. Sometimes it's hard enough to love your own kids, much less someone else's. But it's, there's huge value in children's ministry and student ministry, maybe serving there. What about a jail ministry? We don't have one yet, but we ought to because we just built a jail. So let's build a ministry to minister to the people that are impacted by their, their loved one who committed a crime or the victim of the crime or both or the families of those people. Would you extend the hope of Jesus to those that you wouldn't want living next door to you? Because that's typically who's in the jail. People you don't want to be your neighbor. Would you extend the hope of Jesus to them? How about the homeless? When I think of the least of these, I think of homeless. Would you serve a pregnant homeless woman who's in that situation because she prostituted herself to pay for her drug addiction? Is she worthy of your service? Would you serve the invisible, the elderly homeless person? Serving the least of these, people who cannot serve you. Mourning with those who mourn. 
serving on a funeral or bereavement team. Sounds like a small thing, but it's a big deal. We have funerals here all the time. It's a small gesture, but it has a large impact. It's like, it's like volunteering to make a place for others. You're setting the tone for people who have never been to church or never been to church here, or they only go to church at weddings and funerals. And you can serve food, pour coffee, welcome them to the campus, uh, doing the little things that help them be present as a community when they're saying goodbye to the one they love. And the last one, about foster and adoption or helping those who do. And I know some of you have recently signed up to do that, and Josh and I are poking at AZ-127, which is an organization uh, to, to help you take next steps. But this is a big deal. And I'm not going to lie, this one feels almost impossible at times, because I've done both, I, we, our family. And what comes with this? Well, we've been provoked, bitten, lied to, lied about, lied to repeatedly, stolen from. We've had to navigate everything about our household and calendar decisions around the behaviors of traumatized children. We've experienced very little freedom of choice over our schedule, relationships, you name it. It is without a doubt the hardest thing we have ever done. And it often feels hopeless and exhausting but these kids are worth it. And often the parents and the rest of the family cannot carry the load alone. You can help these families by being a, like an adoptive grandparent or a big brother or a big sister. These are just examples of ways that you can say what's mine is yours. These are examples of ways in which you can follow Jesus. These are examples of ways in which you can demonstrate your love for God through service to people created in his image. These aren't the only examples, and these aren't the only ways to serve, or this isn't the only place to serve. But when you serve others because you follow Jesus, those you have served, they win. Their needs get met. Then they start to get a clearer picture of Jesus and the church, and you deliver hope for people, hope in humanity, and prayerfully, the hope of the gospel. When you serve others because you follow Jesus, you win. Because part of you gets molded into the image of Christ. Do you want to have more patience and less frustration? Do you want to have more compassion for people and less condemnation? Wouldn't it be nice to do more of what is right than to simply be right? In short, you become more like Jesus and less like you, which means everyone in your sphere wins. So here's an example of a win as it relates to serving. Back in May, we did a, a day of service. It's called Meal Pack, where we had uh, 60,000 meals were packed by 390 volunteers, took over 600 man hours in that time, uh, not counting the delivery, the prep work, everything. Just that day constituted 600 man hours. And you might be wondering... What came of that? I was here. We listened to the music and we packed the meals and we had a great time. But what happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Here we go. Oh, they'll tell you. Someone will push the button. My name is Dale Lawrence. I'm the executive director of Arizona Reservation Ministries. There are families living up in canyons that are gathering boxes and, and plywood and anything that they can find to create a shelter to get out of the weather. 
One of the things that we noticed was that they didn't have transportation and they couldn't get food that they needed for their families. And so we got requests from all over the reservation to help provide resources for these families to provide food and, and even water in some cases. So what's happening here at Quad City today, packing up these food boxes, is just gonna have a tremendous impact. So we're at the Arizona Reservation Ministries dropping off all the food that we we're able to pack for meal pack. The people from St. Carlos really do appreciate the Army Ministry and, and of course, uh, the providers. And God has moved us on you, brothers, to deliver this. And God's just going to move mighty on this kingdom as you guys continue to do the work for Jesus. Oh, this is amazing. A lot of families are really going to be happy to see this stuff show up. It's a lot. A lot of boxes of food. You know, it's not, you're not serving the Lord if it's not a little bit of hard labor. We get to give these people some food. It's pretty cool. From here, what we're going to do is check the boxes. And what we do is we have uh, we do a food distribution out throughout the community. So we'll go out there and give it out to people, especially the ones that don't have running water, electricity in their homes. So this will be a, a way of them to get you know the nutrients that they need for their daily life. Not only do they deliver food, but they pray with the families and they have ministry with these families too. One of these four um, went to a place and felt compelled to pray with the man that was receiving the food. And when he was done praying, the man said, thank you. He was about ready to go kill somebody in a gang hit. So we won't know till heaven what these bags really do. So to have these food boxes packed up, thousands and thousands of packets of food going out to the San Carlos Reservation is a great blessing and a great opportunity to show these people that God will take care of all their needs. It's all about Jesus Christ and getting the gospel message of hope to these families. And we appreciate Quad Cities for the years and years of support. We praise God for you. God bless you. So boxes are going out today. There's families who are going to get food today. Did you catch some of what they said? He was about to go kill somebody in a gang hit. So we won't know till heaven what these bags really do. Think of the ripple effect of, of what that hit would have done. Obviously, there's the direct effect. Someone's now dead. And then the, rip, the generational effect of all the loved ones that are impacted by someone's murder. Not only the guy that pulls the trigger, but the guy on the receiving end of it. Bringing food and praying for someone. Now that creates a ripple effect, opportunity for change. What else was said in there? A great opportunity to show these people that God will take care of all their needs. Boxes are going out today. There's families who are gonna get food today. People in need, when they're praying to God for his help to meet those needs, oftentimes those needs are met by you and I, by the church. We're the ones who do it. The church is the way in which God answers many prayers. You don't need to do everything. And you don't need to serve everyone. But we have to remember how Jesus answered this question. What must I do 
to inherit eternal life. What must I do? Yes, you must do something. You will not have the quality of life, of your eternal life, if you don't do something about it. And to receive eternal life, we do have to follow, we have to follow Jesus. That's part of the deal. So what do we do? It's simple. This whole sermon could be summed up in this. Love God, and it's demonstrated by serving people. God, thank you that you have called us to real love, that we're not called to just have affections. Uh, We're not called to, uh, I don't know, live a, a life based in rules, but a life based in love. And our love for you is demonstrated by our service to others. I pray that the teachings of Jesus who define what love is and then his life who demonstrates what love is, I pray that we would be a people who follow those teachings and imitate that example. Thank you for your son. Thank you that he is the one we get to follow. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.